Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The spark of inspiration for an investigation can hit at any time. In a regular interview, reading between the lines of a newspaper story, or even on a blustery railway platform. I'm Maeve McLennigan. Welcome back to The Tip-Off. I'm Peter Gagan, and I'm the Dark Money Investigations Editor at Open Democracy. Peter has worked in many different roles over the years for a variety of outlets. But back in 2016, he was working as a freelancer, writing predominantly for the Irish Times, while also teaching journalism at the University of the West of Scotland. It was the run-up to the EU referendum, and Peter found himself travelling across the UK, reporting on the campaigns being run by both sides of the debate. One day, he was standing on the platform at a train station, when something interesting caught his eye. Well, this whole story began on the 21st of June 2016, so more than four years ago. And it was two days before the Brexit referendum. And I was standing at a train station called Seabourn, which is just on the outskirts of Sunderland. And at the time, I was reporting for the Irish Times. And I was in Sunderland just doing the kind of reporter's job that you do a few days before a big election or a big vote, trying to take the temperature. I'd spent a couple of days going around, talking to voters, seeing what they thought of the European Union, seeing how they were going to vote in the upcoming referendum, and just trying to get the, kind of get the temperature of Sunderland. No big investigation, just talking to people. But I was standing on the train station waiting for the train to come to kind of take me up, take me back to Newcastle and up to Glasgow where I live. And I noticed on the platform there was a free sheet, the Metro newspaper, and a big advert on the front of it, a big wraparound advert the whole way around it, and it just said, take back control. It was all in blue, and I was like... Oh yeah, that's the, the Vote Leave slogan, Take Back Control. And I just picked it up and had a look at it. But on the back of the advert, on the back page, was the logo, the Lionhead logo of the Democratic Unionist Party, the Northern Irish Unionist Party. And a little imprint that said this advert was paid for by the DUP. Peter picked up the paper and stared carefully at the advert. He was curious. I was like, why is the DUP funding expensive adverts on newspapers in Sunderland? You know, this, this is a long way from Belfast. Bemused, he took a photo of the ad and tweeted it out. Kind of saying, like, I wonder what this is about. He pocketed the newspaper, caught his train and carried on with his work. After all, he had his article to write and submit. The run-up to the referendum was fast-paced and he was scrambling to keep up. But the advert and its unusual sponsor kept playing on his mind. It was interesting for a couple of reasons. First, the DUP 
this Northern Irish party didn't appear to have much reason for spending big on print ads in England. Peter had been reporting from the ground in Belfast and the EU referendum was hardly big news there. In Northern Ireland, you really wouldn't have known there was a Brexit referendum on at all. There was almost no posters anywhere. I went down to Shankill Road, which is a very loyalist area, a very DUP area. I saw a couple of Vote Leave posters, but almost nothing. There was almost no talk about it. OK, so why the ad in England? Add to that the fact that Northern Ireland had very different rules around political donations than other UK nations. While elsewhere campaign groups and political parties were obliged by law to publish where their donations came from on the Electoral Commission's register, the same wasn't true in Northern Ireland. That's because historically, supporting one particular party publicly could mean serious danger because of all of the violence during the Troubles. Now that secrecy around donors doesn't usually affect goings-on in the rest of the UK. Northern Irish politicians only worry about campaigning to those in their local areas. But the EU referendum broadened the field. A campaign spend now could target anyone able to vote in a referendum. So Peter was interested. But this was one ad in a newspaper. It didn't feel like enough to go on. Then, out of the blue another piece of the puzzle fell into place. Peter was out teaching at the University of West Scotland, out in the remote westerly town of Eyre, when one day he logged onto his computer to find a message waiting for him. It was from a fellow journalist, a guy called Adam Ramsey. Yes, so I got a Facebook message from Adam Ramsey saying like, you know, hey, how are you doing? Because we were been Facebook friends. And he kind of just said, look, I'm interested in the DUP, could I give you a call? And we talked on the phone. Uh, I remember talking to him on the phone as I was driving back from air. And, we, and I was really interested to see that he was kind of interested in this story, but it kind of came totally out of the blue. Adam Ramsey, a journalist working for Open Democracy, explained he'd been talking to a friend who had seen Peter's tweet, the one about the DUP-sponsored ad in the Metro newspaper in Sunderland, and it had struck a chord. You see, Adam lived in Edinburgh, and in the run-up to the referendum, he had spotted the DUP logo on campaign materials across the city. And he noticed that their placards and their posters all had a little imprint that said paid for by the Democratic Unionist Party. So it wasn't just the Metro in Sunderland. The DUP had been paying for pro-Brexit ads in Scotland too. It was another bit of a, a jigsaw that I, without seeing it, I wasn't able to tell all that much. But when I was able to tell Adam about what I saw and Adam was able to tell me about the, the placards and the posters that he saw, well, then we were able to make this connection that we hadn't been able to make before. Peter and Adam decided then and there that they needed to join forces to dig in further. Just what was going on? So Peter is working with Scottish journalist Adam Ramsey and together they are trying to work out why the DUP, a Northern Irish political party, is paying for pro-Brexit campaign materials all over the UK and where they might have got the funds to do so. So once we decided we were going to kind of look into this issue we started trying to figure out well, what could we tell about what the DUP had done like where could we fi- what could we figure out about where they'd spent money or that had been you know like 
what evidence was there of, of any kind of money trail. So we started off, the first thing we started doing was just to see where we could find the things that we'd seen. Like, was there DUP packards and posters in other places? Had this ad in the Metro only been in Sunderland or had it been other places? So we started just trying to pick, trying to get some sort of picture about that. So we started like, you know, doing things like image searching. It was quite easy to discover that actually the, the advert I saw had been in the Metro everywhere. So it had been a huge advert. It had been all across the Great Britain which is a very expensive thing to do, it's a four-page advert. And then we were trying to figure out, we were able to see other places where people had seen things like this, seen evidence of DUP, posters and placards. I started making a lot of phone calls in Northern Ireland as well to try and get a kind of context for what might have been happening. There was one way Peter could get an idea of how much the DUP had been spending. By checking the Electoral Commission records, he was able to see just how much had been spent on Brexit campaigning. At first, he just got the top line figures. But later down the line, they produced more details. I will put into my diary election, Electoral Commission release days. I am that sad. Um, you know, because I, I, it's a huge dump of information. And for someone like me who's really interested in elections and politics and spending, it's a treasure trove of information. It provides a breakdown too, and it will include the receipts that the campaigns have submitted to the, to the Commission. It will like, have screen grabs and PDFs of the receipts. The spending data showed that the DUP had been paying out for campaign posters and social media ads. Interestingly, paying exactly the same companies as the Vote Leave campaign run by Dominic Cummings. Now, that could have been a coincidence, but Peter wasn't so sure. Under British electoral law, um, if campaigns are what's called coordinating or working together, so if two campaigns or more decide to, to, to work together to do something say like social media campaigning, say like a campaign, campaign A says, we're going to send social media adverts to people on this topic and campaign B wants to do something similar. If those two campaigns sit down together and say, okay, we're going to target one group and you target this group, that's called working together. And under electoral law, if campaigns work together, they can do it, but they have to declare it in their return. They have to say that they've worked together and they have to share the cost of their spending. They're not allowed to, to put their spending in separately. While they couldn't prove 100% that the Vote Leave campaign and the DUP were working together, there were suspicious signs. So it's, there's a huge question about what was going on. Was there coordination between the DUP and Vote Leave? The DUP has always denied this, has always said there was no coordination between us. But either way, the Electoral Commission data allowed Peter to write about the scale of the DUP's spending. So we were able to write a story that said the DUP has spent at least a quarter of a million pounds of money from an anonymous source of dark money on the referendum. Here's some of the things that they, um, that they spent the money on. So now he knows that vast amounts of money were spent by the DUP and most of it in the final days before the referendum date. But because of those Northern Irish donation rules, there was no public information about where that money had come from. But maybe there was another way to find answers. It was February 2017 by now, and while all this was going on, the political system in Northern Ireland was in turmoil. It's been called one of the biggest financial scandals in the history of Northern Ireland. Which could cost Stormont £400 million. Which isn't going to burn out anytime soon. Because of a thing called the Renewable Heating Incentive, the Cash for Ash scandal. And basically what had happened was the Northern Irish government was paying companies and farmers and individuals, many of whom were close to the DUP, large, large sums of money for burning wood pellets. 
the rate paid to burn those pellets was more than the cost of fuel, which meant the government ended up paying people to heat their properties, costing the public purse around £500 million. When the scandal broke, there were resignations and demands for change. A snap election was called in Northern Ireland, and suddenly the spotlight was on the DUP, its financial affairs, and its leader, Arlene Foster. And that gave Peter's inquiries about the money all the more urgency. That gave us an opportunity, I think, to ask questions of people that might have been harder to ask those questions before. This was a conversation that people were having. So I spoke to people, politicians, but I also spoke to people I knew and kind of used my contacts in Northern Ireland to try and get a bit more of a handle on what was going on a few months earlier during the Brexit referendum. And then it was declared that there would be a live public TV debate. This could be the time to put the pressure on and ask just where that DUP funding had come from. Um, and in the run-up to the debate, this story was gaining traction. I was appearing on Northern Irish television quite a lot. Stories were appearing constantly about this DUP money on the back of our investigation. When the leader of the DUP, Arlene Foster, appeared on the live TV debate, those questions around finances soon came up. And in the live debate, Arlene Foster, the leader of the Democratic Unionist Party, was asked as pressurised by other politicians, other leaders on the panel, what was this money? Where did it come from? And she really looked really flustered and she just said it came from a pro-union, pro-union group in England who want to support the union, or words to that effect. And so she was kind of on the back foot on it. So this then became a really big story in Northern Ireland. More after this. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So there we were about a week from this snap election in Northern Ireland and this story that we'd worked on about the DUP spending at least a quarter million pounds on their Brexit campaign from anonymous sources was becoming a big issue in Northern Ireland. But to be honest, there was nowhere else in some ways to go with that because we were struggling to figure out what to do next. You know, we know this, but what, what can we do? The pressure was mounting on the DUP. Journalists across the country kept asking awkward questions about who their financial backers were. And the issue of the Brexit spending just kept coming up until eventually one of their MPs came out with an answer. And said, look, we got a donation of £435,000 from our Brexit campaign for our Brexit referendum work. And it came from this group called the Constitutional Research Council. 
And this kind of statement was made and that was like, this is the end. This is, we're saying no more about it, is what the, the DUP said. But Peter wasn't going to stop there. Who was this group, the Constitutional Research Council? He'd never heard of them. You know, does, like the name suggests, does it have a big office somewhere in the centre of London? You know, does it have a fleet of staff? Very quickly, within minutes of just simple Googling, we realised the Constitutional Research Council wasn't some great organisation. To be honest, it barely existed at all. It was what's called in British electoral law an unincorporated association, which means that it doesn't have any real legal standing. It doesn't have to file accounts. It doesn't have to list its members. It doesn't have to say where its money came from. But there was one person who had been named as the chair of the Constitutional Research Council, a man named Richard Cook. Uh, Richard Cook is a Glasgow businessman who lives in a, a pebble-dashed, semi-detached house on the outskirts of Glasgow. He had run as a Conservative candidate a number of times unsuccessfully in the early 2000s. So we had this name and I was like, OK, who is this guy? Peter and Adam wanted to know more. So they got to work digging into as much as they could of this guy's past. So the first thing we started to do, myself and Adam, we split it up. We started to look, look into his, what was on the public record. And the main place, when, I, when something like that happens, the first place I would probably go is Companies House. And Companies House is a directory of all the companies in Britain. It gives you information about all the officer holders in companies, details about who the companies are, details about their filings. So that for a journalist who's trying to understand, find out about somebody, that's a wealth of information. So we started, Myself and Adam split up and we started going through all of his company records. They found Cook had a business linked to all kinds of strange deals, including a convicted American fraudster, Texan oil wells, Scottish international footballers and investors who were out of pocket by at least £1.3 million. It was a whole web of intrigue and Peter knew he wanted to ask Richard Cook about it to get his side of the story. Whenever you're going to publish a story about somebody that's going to be damaging to them, you know, you, as a journalist, you have to go to them to get their side of the story. Find out, like, you know, what is their perspective on this? To find out also the information you've got, is that all accurate? Have they got another version of events? Is there something you've mistaken? You know, it's a really important part of the journalistic process to give them right to reply. So in this instance, you know, we had Richard Cook's name and we really wanted to ask him, you know, about his business relationships and about the DUP's money. And there was lots of questions that we had for Richard Cook. So myself and Adam, Adam being in Edinburgh, we actually made a number of attempts to, to call to Mr. Cook. Um, I got his phone number. I managed to obtain his phone number as well because he had been quite active in Scottish politics and he had been a number of contacts in the Conservative Party would have known him. So first and foremost, I started just trying to ring Mr. Cook, um, but he didn't pick up any of the, uh, my messages. So then um, I emailed him a number of times too, putting out all the different questions I had. And at that stage, then you're going, OK, I really want to publish this. I've got this information because at this stage, you know, when we first started this story, it was just me and Adam. But by now, there's been a lot of press on this. You know, we're not the only journalists in town looking at Mr. Cook now. His name is out in the public domain. So we're thinking we, we need to get his side of the story before we can publish our stories. So what we did then was we called out to his house um, a number of times um, and tried to kind of interview him there, tried to talk to him there. And eventually we were able to speak to him uh, very, very briefly at the local tennis club where we, real, we found out that he was the chairman of the local tennis club. So we kind of did that classic journalistic thing where, you know, you, if someone's not taking your calls, if someone's not answering your emails, you know, you can't really call them up and say, I'm going to come and visit you because they probably won't answer the door to you. So you, you have to just go unannounced. It might be, feel a bit rude at times. It might make you feel a bit uncomfortable, but that's the only thing you can do. So I still remember, actually, I think it was a Friday afternoon. 
Um, I drove out, I drove myself and Adam out to Gifnock because we wanted to publish these stories and we called into Tennis Club and we asked, is Mr Cook there? And we said, yes, he is. And as soon as Mr Cook saw us, he kind of basically said, we have to leave now and he didn't want to talk to us. But then at least gave me an opportunity to ask Mr Cook some of the questions that I wanted to know the answers to and the opportunity for him to say he didn't want to talk about them. Now, while Peter had been looking into Richard Cook, Elsewhere, a team of journalists from BBC Northern Ireland's Spotlight team had started looking into the strange DUP spending too. They found out it had been Richard Cook who had arranged and paid for the Metro ad, the one that Peter had seen on the train station platform. That ad had run across papers all around the UK and cost £282,000. And had been placed on behalf of the Democratic Unionist Party, hadn't even been booked by the DUP. It had been booked by Richard Cook. The DUP hadn't been involved in even booking that advert. So there were yet more questions to be asked. Peter and Adam published their story with the headline, Revealed, the Dirty Secrets of the DUP's Dark Money Brexit Donor. And while he wouldn't speak to Peter, Richard Cook finally had something to say. Because Mr Cook had given one interview to a Scottish newspaper just after um, we started writing about him, in which he said that the money hadn't actually come from him, but it had come from a legitimate source, um, from a legitimate source who wanted to protect the union and to vote for Brexit. The Constitutional Research Council was fined £6,000 for failing to notify the Electoral Commission about the donation. Richard Cook said in an interview that the council was regulated by the Electoral Commission, operated solely in the UK, and accepted donations only from eligible UK donors. The true source of the donation was never made public. As Peter published story after story, the reaction to his investigation started to grow. So in Northern Ireland, this became a really big story. While I was really heartened by how much interest there was in Northern Ireland in the story, in the rest of Britain, there really wasn't much interest. All too often, national stories for TV news or papers equal things that happen in England. Even this investigation about a potential UK-wide scandal was a hard sell to those who think that news only happens in Westminster. You know, I've worked as a journalist for years. I used to work for Making Dispatches of Channel 4. I've worked for loads of newspapers, you know. Um, and I would talk to people there trying to say, Would you, are you interested in covering this story? And a lot of people just said, look, it's, that's a Northern Ireland story. We don't really, you know, Northern Ireland's a place apart. We're not really interested in Northern Ireland stories. But I was like, well, this isn't really a Northern Ireland story. It's a, it's a UK story. This money was spent during the Brexit referendum. So that was quite frustrating. And, and the story really only came into British consciousnesses after the DUP beca- uh, became kind of kingmakers in Westminster. So after that, there was a number of stories in the paper and Channel 4 News had a package on it. So it became a bigger story after that. So that was, in one way, really heartening, but also quite frustrating that it didn't take it didn't take off as much as I thought it could have done at a UK level. He published story after story and eventually came the change he'd been waiting for. A bill passed through Parliament changing the rules around publishing details of political campaign donations. But it didn't go all the way. The new rules meant political donations could be published theoretically but there was no plan to start doing so anytime soon. It was a step in the right direction, but a far cry from full transparency. And what that meant was this donation is still shrouded in secrecy. So, you know, four years after I started writing about it, having written an entire book, 
that political donation remained secret. I found out lots and lots about lots of other types of donations, lots and lots about other things of lobbying and the misuse of data and politics. But because of that decision, we still do not know who spent almost half, who gave almost half a million pounds to the DUP before the Brexit referendum. Peter went on to discover all kinds of shocking things about how dark money had infiltrated the EU referendum and UK politics more widely. His brilliant new book, Democracy for Sale, documents it all, and it's out now. Thanks to Peter for talking me through that bit of his investigation. This episode of The Tip-Off was edited by Little Old Me. Our theme music is by Dice Muse. Stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.